So today, as we embark on this study of the kingdom of heaven, we're thinking about what it means to be part of the kingdom. How do we become members? How do we become citizens? What's the acceptable norm to be part of it? And in our multicultural city, we are conscious that different cultures have different customs. Many of us here have traveled around the world regularly and see the difference in how people behave and what is acceptable and not in the different countries that we visit. And it's important to have an understanding of those customs before we travel, because of course we don't want to be put in jail or told to leave and that we're not welcome. We want to be accepted, don't we? When I was preparing for this meeting, I kept thinking about these TV adverts that were shown a number of years ago by HSBC. I'm not doing an advert for you, Paul, honestly, but I wonder if some of you might remember watching some of these clips. Do you remember those adverts? You see the different ways in, um, in, the, in the way we can see things. How in one society or country, we do things differently, almost opposite to the other. Did you hear what I said at the end, what it, what it said at the end? We never underestimate the importance of local knowledge. So let's become more familiar with the local knowledge of the kingdom of heaven this morning. So firstly, what about the name? In our reading from Matthew's gospel, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably throughout the gospels. The kingdom of of heaven is used only, though, in in the Gospel of Matthew. But we recognize that these two are one in the same. In the New Testament, the word the kingdom means rule, reign, authority, rather than a place or a specific realm. The phrase the kingdom of heaven, therefore, refers to the rule of God. Now, the Jewish leaders wanted a political leader who would deliver them from Rome. But Jesus came to bring spiritual rule to the hearts of people to reign over our lives as believers. The Jews were seeking for earthly deliverance, but Jesus came to offer the ultimate deliverance, a deliverance from sin. Their idea of the Messiah was so distorted that they didn't even realize he'd come. They were thinking of the expulsion of the Romans and of the Jewish king in court. Jesus was thinking about righteousness, holiness, and peace of the doing of the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. In essence, the will of God is being done on earth through believers as they continue to help people see their need for a saviour whose name is Jesus. The moment we receive the gift of faith, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't looking for good behaviour. He wanted total surrender and repentance of the heart. And as followers of Christ, we are able to live in that joy now, for we already are in the kingdom of heaven. His blessing is not relegated to the distant future. There is blessing for us here and now. The kingdom of heaven, or or God, will be fulfilled in its literal sense in the future, but it is also in us and among us now. The moment we humble ourselves, recognize our unworthiness, and go to the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes us blessed and establishes his rule in us. He becomes our king. So when Jesus was preaching here about being part of the kingdom of heaven, he was handing out hope. He was proclaiming the availability of this new kingdom to everyone, not just those in some authority or social standing, those religious leaders and those who followed the law or those from a specific place. Jesus was touching people like you and me, and they were being healed, and they saw this happening, and they were thinking, oh, this is a new kingdom. 
Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe I can go and live in this new kingdom. So crowds of people came from all around to listen to Jesus and to be healed. The Sermon on the Mount is his message to them about who can be accepted into the kingdom of heaven. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, writes about what the church would look like if we were as inclusive as what Jesus is talking about in this kingdom of heaven. And this is what he says. If I, as a recovering sinner myself, accept Jesus' good news, I can go to the mass murderer and say, you can be blessed in the kingdom of the heavens. There is forgiveness that knows no limits. To the pederast and the perpetrator of incest, to the worshipper of Satan, to those who rob the aged and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, the bloodsucker and the vengeful, blessed, 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 as they flee into the arms of the kingdom among us. These are God's grubby people. In their midst, a Corrie ten Boom takes the hand of the Nazi who killed her family members. The scene is strictly not of this earth. Any spiritually healthy congregation of believers in Jesus will more or less look like these brands plucked from the burning. If the group is totally nice, that is a sure sign something has gone wrong. For here are the foolish, weak, lowly, and despised of the world whom God has chosen to cancel out the humanly great. God, that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge. So here is Jesus sitting on the mountainside with his disciples and a gathering crowd of grubby people. And this is how he begins his message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who is that? It's people who recognize their condition before God apart from Christ and are on their knees begging that God would forgive and change them. Remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee Jesus told about who were going to pray? The Pharisee bragged about himself before God. The tax collector wouldn't even look up but begged, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who was a poor in spirit in his own eyes? Who received God's blessing in there? And then he said, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. After recognizing our spiritual condition, it brings grief A person honest about their spiritual poverty, but not moved to godly sorrow, can't know God's grace. Truly, you can't see yourself as a sinner and look by faith at Jesus suffering on the cross for our sins and not be moved to mourn. But there is comfort in Christ for the person who mourns because of their sin. Blessed are the meek, he says next, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus' take on this word meek is a person who sees his spiritual poverty, grieves over it, and comes meekness before, in meekness before God, willing to submit to God's will and way. Jesus said God will give the whole world to people like that. All through the Bible, God sees the proud and takes their stuff away and gives it to the meek who love him. God humbles the proud and ex- exalts the humble. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, is the next thing he says. This is to those who come to God in submission and now develop a spiritual hunger and thirst for what is right in God's sight. Righteousness, Jesus says, they will be fil- all be filled. They will be satisfied. Only when you have a heavenly appetite can you find full satisfaction. Blessed are the merciful. And what do they get? Mercy. 
And this follows on the heels of those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who want what is right so badly, they can taste it, may need the balance of this. Don't love what is right so much that you fail to have mercy on those who are wrong. It's right to be merciful too. In fact, if you want, to show mer- if you want mercy, show it to others. Mercy is a vital ingredient in any relationship. But here's another balance that comes next. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Mercy doesn't mean sacrifice in purity. Purity stands for clean, innocent, and sincere. Jesus shows us that our vision of God is only clear when we have a pure heart. You can't see God and be phony. You can't see God and have a wrong motives in your heart. Pure-hearted people got that way by their earlier blessings of God. They had to seethe themselves in spiritual poverty, grieve over their sins, meekly submit to God, develop a taste for righteousness, become merciful. To these, God cleanses their hearts and shows them himself. And when you've seen God, you've found a peace. More than that, it's time for you to help others find it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Notice that Jesus didn't say peace lovers, but a peacemaker. Some people don't really love peace, but they just hate conflict. They flee every time they see conflict. Peacemakers are God's children, and they can't but help but share the peace of God with others. Peacemakers enter the conflicts that darkness and sin bring into, their, into the lives of people and work to build God's peace there. Not everyone appreciates the peacemakers' work. There are many persecutors out there. And so Jesus concludes his beatitude with this final blessing, the one he stresses and elaborates on the most. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he adds to this, and Jesus changes the words, notes from those, he says, from those to you, and says, blessed are you you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that's a position of spiritual maturity. A person who, like Jesus, will endure the suffering for the kingdom. You know, Jesus' message here is both inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive in relation to the qualifications of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But note that he also says, blessed are those who are persecuted for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. From the poor in spirit to those who are so full in the spirit that they even endure persecution for the, for the righteousness that is in them. Blessed are they. From the spiritual zeros to the spiritual heroes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good news of the kingdom is that it doesn't matter where on that scale you are today, whether you're devoid of any spiritual background whatsoever or a martyr who would rather die than compromise his or her faith, you can be accepted into the kingdom. Jesus came to make it available to you. Can you imagine what good news that must have been for the grubby people on the hillside? after being shut out and cast aside for so long. How wonderful must that news be to them? 
to those of you who sat down in our exercise earlier, in other words, to all of you, apart from Mark, like me, just who can't seem to measure up, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. The mystery of this gospel is this. The exclusive kingdom is an ex- exclusive kingdom. While the qualifications of this kingdom are in- inclusive, the characteristics of this kingdom are exclusive. No other kingdom promises what the kingdom of heaven promises. Jesus has the exclusive claim on ushering in a kingdom far beyond what the grubby people on the hillside ever imagined. In this kingdom... That includes everyone from the spiritually bankrupt to the spiritually mature. Those who mourn will be comforted. Those who will have taken their losses and are holding their pain will no longer be ignored. They will be comforted. In this kingdom, those meek little mouse-like people who could never assert themselves to find a place in the community will inherit the earth. In this kingdom, those who want to be righteous really badly do not have to run up against the firing squad to do so. They will be filled. In this kingdom, those who are merciful will not be labeled as weak or compromising. They will be shown mercy. They will not receive what they really deserve for the wickedness that exists in them. In this kingdom, the pure in heart, not the pure in deeds, will see God. It won't be what's on the outside, Jesus is saying, but what's happening on the inside that brings you, brings God near. And in this kingdom, those who make peace with God and facilitate peace between one another will be considered part of the family of God. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not what you see around you. It's not this building or these books or the traditions or the budgets or the policies and the procedures of this church or that church. The kingdom of heaven is the life that is saved from the self-rule and is operating under the goodness and lordship of a loving God. It is an eternal kingdom that is available for us today. It is an inclusive kingdom that is available for us all today. But it is an exclusive kingdom in that there is no other kingdom in this world or beyond like it. Jesus makes a very inclusive invitation to all people to come into this exclusive kingdom. But there's only one way in, through the cross. And we cannot come to God unless we give up our rights to live under the authority of this world and choose to live under the authority of Jesus until we believe that his death alone paid the price for our sins. No matter how grubby we've come, we will never experience his exclusive kingdom. Now that would be a shame, because the kingdom of heaven is for you. And so I guess my question to you this morning is, do you want to be part of that kingdom? Do you want to be a part of that kingdom? And the simple way to this is by simply asking the King of Kings to reign in you, reign in me. And so for a moment or two, let us think about what that means for each of us. Firstly, do we want it? Secondly, can it really happen in my life, in your life? Can we really let God rule in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds? There's this beautiful chorus that says, reign in me. Sovereign Lord, reign in me. Captivate my heart. Let your kingdom come. 
Establish now your throne. Let your will be done. Reign in me, sovereign Lord, reign in me. And as we just listen to the tune of this, I'm going to just ask that you think about whether or not you want to be part of this kingdom where we can find forgiveness, fullness of life, the hope of eternity. Reign in me, sovereign Lord. Reign in me. Captivate my heart. Let your kingdom come. Establish now your throne. Let your will be done. Reign in me. Sovereign Lord, reign in me. Let the music just play and let us think about where our place is in this kingdom of God. So if that's your prayer, that you want the Lord to reign in me, will you sing this chorus with me? Will you sing this prayer with me just now? Thank you, Tricia. God of the prophets, God of Christ, we are reminded today that your blessings do not necessarily follow the logic of this world. Gracious God, you have so richly blessed us with life, with love and joy, with hope in the midst of despair. Help us to be the salt of the earth. Help us to be the light of the world, sharing with others that which we have received, boldly proclaiming the good news of your love, finding the seeds of your kingdom within us and letting your way grow in our lives and throughout the world. Give us eyes to see the ways you are changing the world in which we live. Give us ears to hear your call to join with you in the great transformation. Hear us now, O God, as we pray for the coming of your kingdom. Reign in me, sovereign Lord, reign in me. Captivate my heart. Let your kingdom come. Establish now your throne. Let your will be done. 
reign in me. Sovereign Lord, reign in me. Amen. Amen.